0: You know, as we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, I'm kind of thinking about this, and it, you know, it's, it's one of these passages that we kind of skip over on either side, and, and really because it's one of these things that's going to make us uncomfortable, okay? You know, the, the reason that the majority of Christians do not share their faith is because they are radically uncomfortable with the idea of doing so. And for whatever reason... Our, our, our Christian expression in, in this country and in this culture, southern culture, it is, it's, it's largely been about kind of getting you over the hump of hell. It's, it's just kind of like you get in, you get into the kingdom, and then it's kind of manifest destiny. You do with it whatever you want. You have lows, you have highs. Highs, you praise God. Lows, you call out to God. But it's not really on you, or it's not really been on you to kind of go out and engage people with the gospel other than just not living like a heathen, okay? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it is. We, we focus a lot on getting people into the kingdom, and then once they're there, we trust God to keep them there. But... We haven't really been driving people, for whatever reason, to go out and just, I mean, basically charge hell with a water pistol, right? Charge hell with a water pistol. But what Paul gives us in this passage, in 16 through 21, it, it's as if we had had a job. And some of you might have had a job where this was your experience, and, and you've been working, you've been busting it, and your boss comes in and he says, you know, uh, Jenny, You've been doing a great job, but but the things you've been doing those those aren't your responsibilities. Those really are. That's not your job. That's not what we hired you to do. That's not really what we want to see you do. And so, if we could just tweak, change this, and, and kind of send you in this direction, you're going to be accomplishing what we hired you for. And and you know, I'm not going to ultimately have to fire you. And so some of us have had that conversation with our boss where he calls us in and says, look, you, you, know, you think this is the most important thing and certainly that's, that's good for you to do, but, but this over here is the most important thing. You know, The job I had immediately before I came to Ridgecrest was like that. Uh, I went in to see my boss and he said, you do a great job of this, that, and whatever. But whatever you think is the most important part of your job, keeping this lady over here is actually the most important part of your job. I said, Message received. Message received. I'm firmly convinced that in our attempts to bring glory to God, that he gives this to us as first importance, okay? To recognize that, recognize that as we go through this. This is of first importance for our obligation for us to do. This isn't something that you can, you can take or leave in your Christian walk. To the degree to which you follow the commandment, the, the instruction given by Paul here is it is a direct reflection of your submission to Jesus Christ. Look what he says. 16 through 21. He says, From now on, therefore, we, regard, we we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore. And what a, a, a poignant and, and succinct statement of this movement of, of justification. God has justified you. He has made you righteous. He is reconciling you. He is bringing you into this intimate relationship with himself. And he has commanded you to go and to reconcile others. I mean, in short form, that is what we see in this passage. But look how he opens it up. He opens it up. He says, from now on, therefore, we recognize then He's building this argument on something else. So look back at 14 and 15 in chapter 5. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. We're constrained. We're under the obligation of the love of Christ because we have concluded this, that, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Effectively, Paul says this, your life is not your own, it is Christ's. Your life should not be lived for your own selfish ends, it should be lived for who? For him. And how does Paul meet that out in other passages? Well, I'm glad you asked. Flip over to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He's getting rid of most of our day. Like most of our day is right here. And Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. We said, what do I do? Like what does my day look like then? Come on. He keeps going. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is hard work for some of us. This is hard work for some of us. Let each of you, verse 4, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then he goes on to say, Look, you have in you this mind which is in Christ. And what did Christ do? He humbled himself, taking the very form of a servant. Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians to follow the same pattern of other centered focus in our life, not self centered, not egocentric not living out your life to all the desires that you want to fulfill. Like this is antithetical. This is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Look what he says here. So therefore, we we recognize because of Christ and his sacrifice, because he died for all, we regard no one according to the flesh. But he goes on, he says, look, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Effectively, what Paul is saying is he doesn't look at people and say, well, well, well James is well-dressed, and so he must have his life all together. Well, James is well-dressed, he must have his life all together. But, but Ben Collins, you know, oh, Lord, let's just not go there. You know, and then Steve, well, Steve, he's wearing a tie, and so he must have things all together. And well, this pastor, he's wearing tennis shoes and jeans and an untucked shirt. He must have really, you know, he must be on the outs. Life must be rough for him. Paul effectively says, that's not valid for the Christian. This is absolutely not valid. His primary concern in in appraising people, in appraising people, is looking what? Not at the physical, but at the spiritual. And effectively, he says, look, once we appraised, once we looked at Christ and we made a designation on him based upon what? Based upon the flesh. And you know this of Paul. That Paul is one seeking to do what? To put to death the followers of Jesus Christ. And then in Acts 9, God arrested his progress. He stopped him. He blinded him. And then he called him into a life pursuit of serving King Jesus. Friends, when God saved you, he might not have blinded you on a road. But he called you into a life of serving King Jesus. Dead to self, alive for Christ. He said, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. On the basis that we're primarily concerned with the spiritual reality of those we talk to, Paul goes on, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. Everybody say, I am a new creation. creation. He goes on, he says, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Paul gets into the same idea that we saw in Ephesians You were formerly dead in your trespasses. Those are gone. Like who you used to be, that is gone. The old man has been put to death. You've been made alive in Christ. Now this is the amazing thing. Genesis opens up. Genesis opens up when we find this creator God intimately involved in creation. And he he speaks and things are coming into existence. And, and, and And the crowning achievement, the glory of his creative endeavor is when he creates mankind. And he creates mankind, and then we go on to find that mankind totally rebels against this Creator God. This Creator God, who's incredibly kind, incredibly benevolent, incredibly given towards loving his creation. We rebelled against him. And in that act of rebellion, all of humanity fell. All of humanity is stained with sin and separated from God. But in this amazing act of recreation, Where God comes in and he takes our dead heart and he makes it alive. Where God comes in and he takes our our former way of existence, lost and blind and dead and sin. And he recreates this new heart that beats for him and for him alone. He says, if anyone is in Christ, you're located in Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ, the power of Christ dwells in you, it has made you alive. If this is your reality... The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Now look what he says, and this is radically important. Some of us are radically convinced that our journey, our coming to Christ, is the result of our clever manipulation. We said the right thing, we did the right thing, we wore the right clothes, we went to the right church. But look what he says here. All this is from God. This amazing act of, of putting to death the old, of bringing to life the new, all of this is from God. God did this entire work. All of this is, is, is God. He did all of these things. He changed your focus. He made you no longer focus on the outside, but focus on the internal. He made you no longer focus on this outward manifestation of what people look like, but but, but to be preoccupied with their spiritual internal state. This is what God has done. He says, all this is from God. Now look what happened. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ, so God used the agency of Jesus Christ to reconcile us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What role do we play in this? Do we reconcile ourselves? Everybody say, no way. way. I don't think some of you believe that. Did you reconcile yourself? Everybody say, no way. He reconciled you. He reconciled you to himself. God recognized you lost. He recognized you blind. He recognized you dead. And through Christ and his agency, his agency alone, he went out and he reconciled you back to himself. This is his amazing picture of salvation. And all this from God. All this from God. It's not based upon your subjectivity. It's not based upon your mood, your mood swings, or how you wake up in the morning and and feel. This is all from God. Through Christ, he's reconciled us to himself. And look at this. This is the part that we read over. It is good news, right, that God has reconciled us through Christ to himself. amen? Amen? But you know what it calls you to do? Look what it calls you to do. He didn't do this for your purpose. He didn't do this so that, that, that solely that you could live your life however you wanted to. Look what he did. In this act of reconciliation, he has given us a ministry. You are not believe the number of people that come up to me on a weekly basis and they say, I just want to do something. I just, like, I just want to do something, and, and, and what I typically try and do is find out what this person interests, person's interests are, and then match them with, with open responsibilities, open things we have, and this is a good thing for us to consider. In what ways has God gifted me that I might come serve, but can I tell you what is on each and every one of the redeemed? Can I tell you what's on you? It's this ministry of reconciliation. Like, it doesn't say, and God saved all of them. And to really this small fragment of people, he gave this ministry of reconciliation so that everybody else could look at them and think that they are super Christians and radically unique, super awkward to talk to, and people you'd rather not have over for dinner parties. Like, it just clearly does not say that. Maybe you have some nearly inspired version that says this, but mine certainly doesn't. God saved you through Jesus Christ. He reconciled you to himself through his son. And what that looks like is his death. What that looks like is the death of Jesus Christ. That's, what, that's the, the process God used to reconcile you to himself. And this is what he's given to you, believer, Christian. This is what God has given to you, a ministry of reconciliation. How many of us, I wonder, see ourselves as agents of reconciliation? How many of us, like, we recognize this is the commission. This is the task that God has set before us. That that Mary, that you are an agent of reconciliation. Why? Because that's what God says you are. Like, it doesn't matter your subjective feelings of, ah, I just get really uncomfortable when I talk to lost people. Friend, you were lost. Someone talked to you. You were formerly dead and far off. And someone came and spoke to you. Someone took it upon themselves under the obligation of God to go and be a minister of reconciliation to you. Why? So that God through Christ, might reconcile you to himself. They didn't reconcile you, but they were faithful in carrying that message to what end so that you too might be reconciled back to God. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. You know, Paul, he, 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 he gets that we struggle with this. Like it, it's almost that he gets this. It's almost that he saw this coming and so he, in a sense, says it back again. He says that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. He wants us to understand this kind of separation of duties. We are not reconciling the world back to God. Like, if this is the job that you want, you're always going to be unsuccessful, friend. If the job, the mantle that you have taken on is one of reconciler and you are reconciling the world back to God, can I tell you, you're going to fail? Can I tell you that you're going to fail? And more than that, can I tell you you are taking on what God has said is his role, his responsibility? He is reconciling the world back to himself. Look at this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In the sacrifice of Christ, all stand available to come and to know him. Through what purpose? Through his sacrificial death, his atoning death. God is a God of justice as much as he is a God of love. Because he's a God of justice, he must punish sin. Jesus Christ took the punishment for all. Jesus Christ took the punishment of all. He stood and he took on, he became the very embodiment of my sin and of your sin. And in that act, we are being made justified, declared righteous, and being reconciled. Our relationship with God is being restored, moving from enmity, hatred, to friendship. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Now look what he says here not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to them a message of reconciliation. Do you remember back when we were studying Ephesians together? In fact, flip over there. We've got time. It's just a little little bit to the right. Ephesians two. Ephesians two Starting up, he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And remember, he goes on to describe three ways you're affected, internally, externally, and supernaturally. In which you once walked. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body, And the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But we recognize in verse 4, God is reconciling those to himself. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. And so we recognize coming into this, that this is how you've been made righteous before God. This is what he has done. He's not counting your trespasses against you. Where were they counted? To whom were they attributed? To whom were they laid on? Christ. Christ. In, In Christ's death, he afforded humanity an avenue, a way to know God. To be reconciled to God. Remember, God is reconciling through Christ all things back to himself. But again, he comes back up with this deal. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Now Paul writes and he says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. But when we ask ourselves, if you were to answer the question in your own heart, when is the last time you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with another person other than your children? Many of us would say, I've never done that. Many of us would say, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church. Many of us would say, I, I, I've never done that, and I'm not totally comfortable doing that even now. I just I don't know how I would articulate it. Listen to this. If you knew enough of the gospel to save you, then you know enough of the gospel to lead someone else. You understand that? Some of you are really worried now. "Ah, I don't know that I know enough of, right? If you knew enough of the gospel to respond in faith to God, then you know enough of the gospel to share with someone else. Because recognize this, this peace and this freedom here. God is the one doing the reconciliation. It's not on you to reconcile people. It's not on you to defeat all the arguments of every atheist that you come across. God is the one reconciling. All this is from God. But the ministry and the message are firmly on our shoulders. They're firmly on our shoulders. So for the last several weeks, we've been, we've been amping up. We've been looking at this, calling the men and women and even children who have surrendered to Christ of our church to do what? To go and to share this message. Like This is my confusion. If this is what his word says, like if it says he's given to you a ministry of reconciliation, he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, and then you don't engage in this, not just saying today, but like if this isn't a normal habit and rhythm of life for you, then I've really got to ask myself the question, and I ask it of my own self. To what degree do I actually submit to Jesus? When the ministry he's clearly given us, and the message of hope was just the only message of hope that he's ever given, if we're not faithful in the discharge of this duty, then how damning, how damning is that reflection upon my submission to Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip. Like, I think his word does a good job of that in and of itself. Because when we honestly assess the outward focus of our faith impacting those around us, for many of us, we look at this and say, I just don't have a good answer for this. I don't have a good excuse for this. I recognize that he's given to me this ministry. I recognize he's entrusted to us this message. And so I say to you, friend, when is the last time you shared? And you say, Can we please talk it about something else. But I say, this is what his word says. If we are to be a people who live lives in submission to Jesus Christ, we can't just submit ourselves to those things that we enjoy. singing. Dancing, proclaiming, serving where it's easy. No, this ministry is what he has given us. Ministry of reconciliation, message of reconciliation. Look what he says in verse 20. On the basis that he's given these things to us, he says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Like, if you're not breathing a collective sigh of relief, then, then you misheard this. God is making an appeal through you. This isn't actually you making the appeal. It's God supernaturally making the appeal through you, right? Not, not, not saying that, that, that you're not on, you know, like you step before somebody and you just open your mouth and God just pours out and all these words just come out. Because friend, if you step in front of someone today and just open your mouth, it's going to get real awkward real fast. If you open your mouth and don't say anything. But what he's saying in this is the supernatural conflict that's taking place that is God making his appeal, but he's using you, the willing person who goes out and serves as an ambassador. Now, what does an ambassador do? Well, they go out and they represent some higher authority. But do you know what's interesting? In Paul's day, ambassadors weren't sent out by the emperor to other places. Ambassadors were sent to the emperor and then he would meet with them whenever he got around to it. And so Paul takes and he, he puts on its end this idea of this isn't some, some greedy, self-absorbed emperor in Rome that says, come to me, and then when I get around to it, I'll meet with you. No, this shows the kindness and the beneficence of our God that he calls you and I to go out and to be his ambassadors, to share with those we come into contact with this message of hope, this message of reconciliation, how they might be reconciled to God. For many of the people we come across, they will not reconcile, recon, recognize themselves as being Apart from God, they will not recognize themselves as being dead in their trespasses. They will not recognize that there is enmity between them and God, hatred, dysfunction between them and God. And what we're doing with the power of His Word is calling them to that recognition. And what God is doing through us is calling them into submission to Himself. For what purpose? That they might be reconciled. You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador. You're an ambassador, and this is what he calls you to. He calls you to usefulness. He calls you to presence, and he calls you to invest yourself in the lives of those you come across, of those he puts in your path. And today, as a church, those in our path are on the other side of Wesley. Today, as a church, as a corporate body, as we go out, those in our path those supernatural encounters that God has, has been working in their hearts, preparing our hearts for obedience and for courage, they reside on the other side of Wesley and up sail. This is where they are. Will you go and be an ambassador? Will you go and be useful for the ministry that he's given you? Will you go and discharge the message that he's entrusted to you? Because God, friends, God desires to make his appeal through us. When I read my Old Testament. I recognize that God used a donkey. And some of you are hoping that as you walk towards the fellowship hall, that there's just going to be this herd of donkeys running down the hall and say, please use them, not me. Don't base your theology on exception. Base it on Constancy. God has called you, He saved you for such a time as this, that you would go live out your faith in a vibrant expression of Christianity, of a life redeemed and reconciled. For what purpose? So that He could make His appeal through you. And look what He says. Paul finds that even in this Corinthian church, there were those who needed to be reconciled to God. That as Christians, you and I, even find ourselves kind of moving on this, 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 this line and progression, moving our hearts away from him. Not that he's moved away from us, but that we are moving away from him. Some of you today, the message to you is be reconciled to God. Quit living a life as if it is your own. Recognize that in salvation, in his move to save you, he laid claim to everything you are. The hymn we sang is I Surrender All. That hymn is used over and over and over again during the invitation. And this is the picture that that paints. It's calling people for a once and for all surrender, come forward, profess faith in Jesus Christ and join the church. But this is the real picture. Each and every moment you wake, each and every day you wake up, each and every moment you live your life you proclaim, I surrender all. I surrendered it in salvation. I surrender it still. But for some of us, we recognize we are not surrendering our lives. We have segmented our lives, kept him at bay from certain areas, our work, our finances, our kids' sports, whatever it is, we have have held this thing off, our educational pursuits, our relationships, our time, our money, this is what it's called to you is be reconciled to God. Allow God to do a work of reconciliation in your heart as well. You who are moving far off from God because of your bitterness, your animosity, your unfulfilled dreams, or whatever it is in life that has disappointed you, recognize God has not moved, but you are moving away. And the word Paul would have us entrust and impart and make application to is that we be reconciled. As Christians, we are agents of reconciliation. We're seeking to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ and we're seeking to to bring those who are alienated and far off and dead in their trespasses and sins as we once were. We're seeking to bring them back to God. By what purpose and what agency? By being faithful to speak faithful to go. Will you go be an ambassador? Will you be what you are? Will you be faithful with the message that he's entrusted to you? Or will you stay far off from God? He said, look, I don't desire to be reconciled to God because, friends, God has reconciled you in salvation. He's justified you and made you righteous. Look here in verse 21. He says, for our sake... For the sake of us, he made him, he made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus had never sinned, but he took on our sin. The sins that I sinned this morning, the ones that I'll sin this afternoon, the the sins that that you are holding on to selfishly, refusing to let go, he made Jesus to be sin. He who knew no sin. For what purpose? So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, the righteousness of God needs to be displayed in this community. It needs to be displayed in our families. It needs to be displayed in every encounter we have with saved people and lost people. Look at the word that Paul gives us. We regard no one according to the flesh. We are interested in the spiritual. And today, what we as a body have set on our hearts and committed ourselves to is a course of action which boldly proclaims, one, our submission to Jesus, two, our willingness to follow him in this charge so that he might be able to reconcile all those that we encounter back to himself. Will you be obedient, not to me, but will you be obedient to the word that he's put before us? Will you join us in this endeavor as we seek to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a community that is indifferent, that knows the story but has no affected heart change? Or for some of you, will you continue to stay unreconciled and far off from God? Let me pray for us. Father, this morning we come and... God, I pray that you would make us all acutely aware of the work of reconciliation you have done in our own hearts. In justification, you proclaimed us to be righteous, but in reconciliation, you invest yourself in in our lives. In justification, you wipe the slate clean, but in reconciliation, you are investing yourself in our lives, personally knowing us. God, you call us to know you. Father, I pray for those who are scared, afraid, or indifferent that you would change their hearts to drive them out. And God, we pray for those this morning who even in this place have not yet surrendered their lives to you. God, through the words preached, through the word read, that you would be moving and speaking. And you would be reconciling them as well. That you would convict them of sin. You would awaken them to their peril and plight. And God, that you would quicken their spirit. And they would surrender themselves to you once and for all. And cry out, Abba, Father, save me. God, lead us in a bold proclamation of your truth. Lead us out in a bold proclamation that you have defeated sin, that you have defeated death. And help us to be faithful as we seek to be ambassadors in our community, agents of reconciliation used by you for your renown, for your glory, and the expansion of your kingdom, not our own. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.